I want to take a take a small break from judges um, and and just kind of talk about something that's been on my heart lately, something that's been I feel the Lord just kind of I don't know if crushing me is the right word, but just really impressing upon me in a very extreme manner the importance of a relationship with Christ, not just a knowledge of and not just knowing where to go to get an answer and, and those kind of things. I find myself sometimes getting into this rut of um, academia and vocational ministry, right? And I love both of those things. You know, I'm, it, they're not hard as far as like it's not killing me. You know, it's not a job that's dangerous. Um, it, it's not anything too crazy. But what happens is, is you get hyper-focused on information, and so I'm just constantly trying to soak up information. And I've been, I, me and Lewis were talking about it, and I would, I would call it spiritually lean, meaning I'm just not feeding on the Word of God. I'm not doing it to grow. I'm not doing it to get closer to the Lord at times. And so he's really been impressing upon me the importance of that. And I, I praise him for it because if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and, and, and him doing what he's supposed to do by convicting me and, and illuminating me to those things, I'll just keep going. You know what I mean? I, I have the, the proclivity to be able to work and work and work and work. And if it's not broken, I'm not going to try to fix it. I'll just keep going. That's, that's my nature, just work. And so I'm really grateful for that, um, from the Lord, that gifting, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's painful, it's, 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 it's almost embarrassing to be training for ministry and have to stand here and say, oh man, I get hyper-focused and I, I forget the relational aspect of being a believer and putting everything I have into knowing Jesus Christ and knowing him on a personal level and, level and not just in a, a knowledge-based way. And so uh, I have <clears throat> prepared a message tonight on Matthew eleven twenty eight to thirty, and the title of the message is "The Heart of the Savior." And so, in the four Gospels of the New Testament, we see a few things, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of tell four different versions of the same story with some things added in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, John, uh, kind of a different version, more for the whole world. <clears throat> we see things. We see the life and death and ministry of Jesus Christ. And some things that stand out in those four Gospels are these things. Christ choosing, teaching, and loving His disciples. Christ performing miracles and signs. Christ healing people, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. The greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doing the will of the Father at all costs, even His life. And of course, the trial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So those are some things that we see collectively in the four Gospels. You can go and you can get a different account. And there's going to be a few word changes here and there because it's it's told by four different people. But it's the same thing. It's the same story. But the thing that we only see one time in the Gospels and one time in the New Testament is what the heart of the Savior is. And this is different because it's not... Paul or Peter or John or anybody else saying this is Jesus's heart. This is Jesus telling his his followers, the disciples and whoever was listening and us now what his heart for us is. And it's important for us to know that 
It's important for us to realize that Christ does have a heart for us and we have to know what the characteristics of that heart for us are. So this is a passage that I've gone to several times in my life and I feel like it's just kind of one of those passages that the more I read it, the three simple verses that it is, the more I get out of it, the more I just keep ringing it out and the more just information just flows out, but a good information, not the information that I'm using for school or for vocational ministry, but the the information that helps me draw closer to Christ. And that's my prayer tonight is that as I share this with you, that you would draw closer to Christ. So I want to read the passage, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So right off the bat, there's some things that I want us to pay attention to. And here, here's kind of where I want to go with this message as I point out some things from the text. I want us to think about four action words that are in this text. The first one is come in verse 28. The second one is take in verse 29 and then learn in verse 29. And then the last one is find in verse uh, 29 as well, 3 and 29. So come, take, learn, and find. And those words are action words. Those words are verbs, right? That's what that's what we call an action word. I'm not a smart guy. I'm not an English major by any means. I barely made it through English and uh, grammar school and high school, and then I went to Greek in college, and that was a really rough time for me because to understand Greek and to know what Greek is, you have to know what English is because you have to know what verbs are, adjectives, all these things. I do know what a verb is. I do know what a verb is. It's an action word. Um, it's something that we do. But here's the other thing. These words, when they're spoken by Christ, come, take, learn, and find. They're spoken in the imperative mood. The imperative mood is a command. It's not him begging us. It's not him uh, pleading with us. Oh, please come to me. I need you. No, it's it's a command. It's 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 something that we need to take heed to and we need to pay attention to. So the first thing I want to point out, point number one, Jesus is inviting us to come to him. We see that in verse 20, uh, 28. Come unto me. That's just the first part, come unto me. So whom is he inviting? Believers, unbelievers, doubters, all, right? That's the next part of that verse. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I, so he's inviting believers, right? Because believers, we need to go to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus. We need to seek our affections on Jesus. It's not just a one and done at salvation. We don't just get get the gift of salvation and eternal life and then we're on our own and we do it. I think, I know I'm guilty of it and I don't know, maybe y'all are too, but we can be guilty of thinking that way sometimes. But then when stuff gets crazy, we want to run back to the Lord, right? But we should be coming to the Lord every day, all day. It should be a constant action, a continuing action. In the Marine Corps, we had a saying that chow is continuous. That means you ate whenever you had a chance because you had you didn't know when your next meal was going to be. So that it wasn't like, okay, at 9 o'clock breakfast, 12 o'clock lunch, 5 o'clock dinner. No, chow is continuous. You just eat when you can. You have something in your pocket, you eat. Going to Christ is continuous. 
not because you don't know when the next time you can, but because it needs to be a continual action. It has to happen all the time. When we feel like we shouldn't go to him, so I'm talking about believers now, and believers, unbelievers, and people who doubt, at times we can say, I can't go to Christ. Things are too crazy. I've, I've messed up too badly. I've, I have sinned beyond all forgiveness from Christ. There's no way I can go to him. Or we doubt, we doubt what he says. We doubt who he is. We doubt that he will do what he says he will do. We think we're not good enough. We struggle with feeling worthy enough to go before him. And the fact of the matter is, brothers and sisters, let's just be really honest. In the beginning, before salvation, none of us were worthy to go to Christ. But at the point of salvation, we have access to Jesus Christ now. That's Hebrews chapter 4, right? We have a high priest. We can go to him. He can sympathize with us. We can go into the throne room of grace. We can approach him. And, oh, by the way, he wants us to. That's why he's saying, come unto me. We can't believe the lies that Satan would fill our heads with that tells us that we're too messed up to go to Jesus. We don't fix ourselves before we go to Christ. We go to Christ to get fixed. Let me say that again. We don't fix ourselves before we go to Christ. We go to Christ to get fixed. And we do that because we can't fix ourselves. We need him. We have to have him. And if we don't, there is no fixing. There is no strengthening. There is no restoration. There is no continuation of moving forward in our faith. We're just left to our own devices. Praise God that we don't have a God that saw fit to leave us in our, in our own mess, in our own, uh, even, even after salvation, just to say, okay, you're on your own. No, he's provided everything for us. Everything. So the first action word is the word come. And in the Greek, the word come, it means come follow. It means come hither, come here, come with an exclamation point, come now with an exclamation point. Like it's emphatic, like get over here right now, come on. Imagine if your child was running across the street and you saw a car coming and you scream out to your child, hey, you get over here, come back. That's what it's like. It's emphatic. It's, it's purpose driven. It's, it's imperative. It's a command. Come unto me. So we have to go to him and we have to follow him because that's part of the definition of that word. And, and I know I don't like to get all in the Greek or whatever, but these four words stood out to me as I've been studying this passage for the last couple of weeks. And they just jump out at me as these action words that we have to do something with. And we have to, we have to work, brothers and sisters. And not the kind of work that saves us, right? We know, we know that's a fallacy. I'm talking about we have to do the kind of work that matures us, that helps us grow, that we are doing our part, our resp- what we're responsible for, and we know that God's going to do the rest. God's going to always take care of His end of things. God is sovereign. He is in control. But we have a responsibility. Step one is to come. Number two, point number two from verse 29, that Jesus is instructing us. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Again, Jesus is getting our attention, and he's, he's, he's using these, these action words. 
And he's another way to say that he's instructing us is that he's imploring us, right? And the word implore, it's to say something in a sincere and urgent manner, like, like exhorting us, commanding us, just trying to grab our attention. I can, I can almost imagine, and maybe this is just because of, of how it was in the military, you know, just when the drill instructor really wanted you to do something, he didn't tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey man, can you please do that for me? No, it was in your face, screaming and yelling, spit on your face, on my glasses, you know what I mean? Just all out craziness. I don't think Jesus is like that. That's not the picture I'm trying to paint. But I'm trying to paint a picture that Jesus is trying to get our attention and he's not asking us nicely or begging us or, hey, if you want to, it's okay. If you don't, no big deal. No, he's saying come. He's saying take. The Savior doesn't have to beg us. He doesn't need us, but the Savior is exhorting us because he wants us. And he knows what's best for believers. He knows what's best for unbelievers. He knows that he's the answer for the doubters. And he's telling us, take this yoke, come to me. So the second action word is take. In the Greek, the take, that word means to bear up that which has been raised. So how do you take a yoke upon you? Well, you take it, you put it, and you put it on your shoulder, right? And what are we to bear up? We're to bear up that yoke. But what is that yoke? So if you look that up in the Greek, and I'm, I'm not trying to spin out of control here on the Greek, but it's just super fascinating. It's metaphorically used of any burden or bondage as that of slavery or troublesome laws imposed on one, especially of the Mosaic law. That's why the name is transferred to the commands of Christ as to contrast them with the commands of the Pharisees, which were a veritable or a not real uh, yoke. So the Pharisees were putting things on people that they couldn't do. The Pharisees couldn't do it themselves. The people they were trying to put it on, they couldn't do it. It was too difficult. There was no obtaining anything in that system. It's a broken system. But Christ is saying, take my yoke. Put my yoke on. Listen to what he says. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ commands we need to submit to them and we have to keep them, but he's going to give us everything that we need to keep them. It's not a pharisaical system where there is no success, where there is no ground gained, where there is no understanding, there is no doing. He will equip you and he will give you the tools that you need so that you can move forward and so that you can do those things that he's commanding. The third action word in this verse is learn. To increase one's knowledge, to be increased in knowledge, to hear, to be informed, to learn by use and practice. So it's not just the learning like in a book so that you can take it and have an answer for a quick comeback. It's not just a memorization It's not just knowing something to know it. It's knowing it, living it, practicing it, meditating on it, and being in a, and it says to be in the habit of or accustomed to utilizing it. You can't just have all this information about Jesus and do nothing with it. We have to do something with it. We have to, we have to strive to be like him. We have to grow closer to him. We have to seek him out and go to him for the solutions to life's mess. 
I don't know about any of the rest of you, but if you don't have any problems in life right now and your life is nothing but rainbows and butterflies, go ahead and go and get up and go. But on your way out, share with us how you accomplished it. Don't be stingy. But there is nobody here because we come here because our lives are heavy and we are weary. We are heavy laden. Whether it's just from regular work, your marriage, finances, children, the loss of a loved one, all of the above, a combination of three or four. None of us have it easy. None of us should be thinking we can make it on our own. Man, I pray that as a, as a whole, we pray about this often in our, our prayer meetings on Sunday mornings, and I continue to pray that as myself personal and us as a body of believers, that every ounce of self-dependence would be crushed out of us so that we would only depend upon Jesus Christ. Because then and only then will we go to him. When we figure out it's the end for us and we don't have anything left to offer, like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then when it's right, when I think it's okay, then I'll come back over here and see if it's good enough. Oh, it's not good enough. So I'm going to go back over here and try to do something by myself. Because see, brothers and sisters, there is no good enough when we try to do it first by ourselves. We have to go to Christ so Christ can show us, so Christ can teach us, so Christ can give us those things that we need to grow spiritually. Point number three. Jesus shows us the intimate nature of his heart. In verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Let's stop right there. That's Jesus' heart for, for us as his people. Meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. So what is meek? It's gentle. Jesus isn't here with a finger pointed out at us and shaking it at us and saying, dang it, it's you again on my doorstep. What do you need now? Are you ever going to get it right? Are you ever going to do anything that makes me happy? No, that's not it. He says, come to me, take my yoke. It's easy. It's doable. You can make it in with me. And his arms are open. He's not shaking his fist at us. He's not angry at us for going to him. He invites us to come. He doesn't tell us to go anywhere else. What kind of savior would that be? If we went to him and he said, no, go to your pastor. I'm busy. Go to your friends. Pray to Moses. But that's not what he does. He says, come unto me. And when we go to him, he's meek. He's gentle. He knows we need him and he offers himself to us. We have all access. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be in Hebrews for just a couple seconds here, a few verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful faith and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. 
So what is that saying? It's saying that we have all access to him. It's saying that he knows that we need him and he's offering himself to us. And he, he did that by becoming like us so that he would know how to care for us. That's the best part about Jesus Christ outside of salvation is that he knows how to help us. Will our pride stand in the way and keep us from going to him and seeking that help that we need? Or will we throw our pride away and fall at the feet of the Savior who can help, who can love us, who can strengthen us, who can equip us and send us back out to be successful in living a life that reflects him and being successful in growing in our spiritual walk because of him? He doesn't equip us and then we get all the credit because we did it. He equips us, and because he equipped us, then we can do it. There is no doing outside of him. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we talked about this early earlier. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need that we can find mercy and I'm sorry, obtain mercy and find grace in the help in the time of need. Those things sound pretty good to me right now in my life. Getting mercy and grace and help. Because I've heard this before when I worked with the veterans, when I did the biblical counseling retreats for them. They said, man, I'm just tired of being tired. Every single one of us in this room can, can relate to that statement. I'm tired of being tired. Tired of being tired. Well, if you're tired of being tired, go to the Lord. Take on his yoke. Be in a relationship with him so that you will receive grace. You will receive mercy and you will receive help in the time of need. The last verse that I want to drive home for this is Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lay aside every weight. That weight is anything that burdens us. But when we take Jesus' yoke upon us, that's not a burden. It's almost counterintuitive, right? That we have to take on weight to get rid of weight, or we have to get rid of weight only to put back on more weight. What if it looked like this? What if, as an illustration, and I, uh, I heard this once, and so it's not my own. I hope I don't butcher it. But if you were in the middle of the ocean, and you were barely making it, your head was barely above water, and you're barely able to get enough air to stay alive, 
and your body is physically exhausted from treading water. You've been out there for hours, hours and hours. And all of a sudden a boat came by and a man in the boat saw you and he took a life preserver and he perfectly throws it and it lands right next to you. And all you have to do is take your arm, your tired, beat down arm that can barely hold you up anymore and grab onto it and put it underneath and just let him do the rest. He's going to pull you in the boat. Him and his friend are going to put you into the boat and they're going to take you where you need to go to get food, to get rest, to get looked at by the doctor. But when the, imagine this, imagine that the, the life preserver lands next to you and you say, I'm good, man. Thanks. That's what we do when we don't go to Jesus. That's what we do when we don't take upon him our yoke, his yoke. I'm sorry. No, Jesus, I'm okay. I have this. I can take care of it. I can make it on my own. I don't need you right now. <laughs> but when it gets worse, we need him, don't we? And then we go and we get out our little magic genie lamp by way of illustration and we want magic genie Jesus to give us three wishes so that we can fix our lives, right? Because we've, we've done blown it all the way. I'm not saying that you can't go to Jesus when life's not a big old mess. But what I'm saying is if we go to Jesus, maybe those messes will look a little different. They're still going to be there, but it'll be different. Jesus is also lowly. That means he's accessible. He's humble. And what do we need to come to Jesus? What, what do we have to have to qualify to come to Jesus? Well, here it is in the beginning of, of verse 28. It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's it. That's the qualifier. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be able to preach. You don't have to pray in some eloquent way. You don't have to know math. You don't, nothing. If you are laboring and heavy laden, that's who Jesus wants to come to him. If you're living life as a human being, Jesus wants you to come to him. Number four, Jesus will invigorate us in verse 29. So in the Marine Corps, we used to have an acronym. We, just in case you didn't know, military guys love acronyms. We make acronyms out of everything. I try to do it at home. Emily gets very upset, so now I don't do it at home. But I'm going to use one now. The acronym that I want to use here is called WIFM, W-I-F-M, WIFM. That's a real thing in the military. It's This is what it would look like. Hey, man, can you take my duty tonight? It's Christmas Eve, but I want to go home with my family. And I would respond, well, with them, what's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? So there is a with them in this verse. Jesus will invigorate us in verse 29. And what does that look like? This is a two-part promise. It says, take upon me my yoke. Sorry, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That's part one of this. I'm going to park it right here. He invigorates us. He means he gives us life. He gives us energy. How do we get that energy? Well, we go to him for rest. What does rest in Jesus look like? Is it a nap in a sippy cup and a blanket on a, on a cool little uh, nappy time pad? No. It's spiritual rest. It's, it's 1 Peter 5.10. Turn there real quick. We've been here before. I've preached this passage before here. It's one of my, it's, it is my favorite passage in the Bible, actually, besides maybe this one that we're preaching tonight. Um, 
First Peter 5.10 says, But the God of all grace who hath called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, notice that after you have suffered a while, not before, not I'm going to help you avoid it, after you have suffered a while, he will make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God will give us rest because he will refresh and restore us. And refresh and restore is like, in, in the Greek, it's a picture of a bone that's broken and the doctor puts it back together and resets it so that it can be done, so that it can be used for its normal function. That's good rest. That's what we need because we're broken and we're tired and we're beat up and we're tired of being tired. The fourth action word and the last action word is the word find. In the Greek word, I'm sorry, in the Greek, the word find means to find by inquiry throughout examination, observation, to find out by practice and experience, to see, learn, discover, or understand, to be found, to be seen, to be present. And here's the kicker, to get knowledge of, come to know God. That's what finding is. It's not like walking around and saying, ooh, look, I just found five bucks on the ground. This is a great day. No, it's going to Christ, going to him for rest, taking on his yoke, learning of him, living like him, following after him, and you find peace and rest and refreshment and restoration, and he heals you physically, spiritually, mentally, Everything, Lee. Finding requires work on our part. And again, I'll say it not by, not kind of not a saving work, but instead a maturing work. I've read this passage, man, I don't even know how many times. Um, and it took all this time into the last two weeks for, for, for these four words, come, take, learn and find to jump off the page and hit me in the face and penetrate my heart. That's what finding is. It's the Lord revealing himself to you in everything that we do. And the last one, and this is part two of that two-part promise, that with him, that what's in it, what's in it for me, Jesus, point number five, Jesus gives us an incentive And the incentive is this, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not going to overtax you. He's not going to beat you like a whipped animal with a yoke on it that you're trying to plow a yard. No, that yoke isn't something that holds us down or harnesses us to something other than Jesus Christ. That's what the yoke is. It's a connection to Jesus Christ and fellowship and discipleship and mentorship with the Savior. Learning from him, learning of him. So how do we apply all this? I want to close with just a couple points of application. So number number one on application is we have to follow the Savior's instruction. I know I'm giving you guys a lot of I words, but I like doing this. It makes it so I can remember and it's easier for me to flow. But we have to follow the Savior's instruction. How? Go to Mark 8.34. Mark 8.34 He said, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, 
Here's that word again. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I use this verse a lot with with my counselees. And it says, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself. That's how you follow the Savior's instruction. You deny yourself. You stop depending on yourself. You stop thinking highly of yourself. You stop thinking that there's anything that you can do in your own power that's going to make you better in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ made you acceptable in His sight and in the Father's sight. You have to deny yourself. And then you have to take up your cross. So you deny yourself and you take up the cross. Well, we all know what happened on the cross. Jesus was put to death. Jesus is saying, deny yourself and die to yourself. You cannot live for yourself. Man, nothing makes me so angry when I watch TV or when I listen to a podcast or when I read a book or anything like that and the self-help movement pops up. It is like getting stabbed in the heart because it's false. It is a fallacy. There is no such thing as self-help. There is no self thing as self-actualization contrary to what psychology would tell us. That's why me and Brother Lewis counsel with Scripture. Could you imagine this? Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross after you've self-actualized and then come follow me. And then you can be like me. And then you can come unto me. And then you can take the yoke. Then you can learn then maybe you'll find. It's it's egregious the way that man has started this movement that just sucks people in and has them rely on themselves and they turn their back on the Savior. And you'd think that you would think we would I wish I could stand here tonight and tell you that believers don't do that, but that's not the truth. The truth is, believers do it too. And then the other thing, what's in it for me? This is another with them, right? And following the Savior's instruction, go to John 6.37. Praise God for this Bible verse, y'all. Praise God for this Bible verse. John 6.37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. If you come to him, he's not going to get rid of you like a piece of garbage. He's going to care for you. He's going to love you. He's going to help you. I I don't know, brothers and sisters, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm just a simple guy. I like to call myself a knuckle dragger. I just like to work. I I don't need to church it up. That's what I call it. I don't need to church it up. We just need to go to Jesus so that we can get healed and fixed, so that we can live the life that He has for us, so that we can be reliant on Him. If only we could learn that being reliant upon Jesus Christ is the only way because He will never fail. The minute that we trust in ourselves and the minute that we follow our hearts, the minute we've already set ourselves up for failure, the minute we've already asked for doom and Satan and sin to just come on in and wreak havoc in our lives. Number two for application, we need to implement the instruction into our lives. How do we do that? We've talked about this, so I'll go over it quickly. Four things. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in church. And we need to be in accountability. 
I call those the four B's. Be in the Word, be in prayer, be in church, be in accountability. That's how we implement this into our lives. This is how we know that we can go to Jesus. This is how we know that we can take His yoke upon us. This is how we know that we can learn from Him. And this is how we know that we will find what we need in Him. Number three on application, we must be intentional in our pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This is what it says. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Then turn to Matthew 6.33. This is out of the greatest sermon ever preached, by the way. This is part of what you see in the Gospels we talked about in the beginning. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't get better than this. It does not get better than this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. This is what it says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. I'm sorry, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And then the last one for this being intentional is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. For us to be able to hunger and thirst and seek and ask and seek and knock, Guess what we have to do? We have to come to Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. We have to learn of Jesus. We have to take upon us the yoke of Jesus so that we can find the magnificence of Jesus. And the last point that I have is whether we are Christians or not, the bottom line is we cannot afford to ignore the Savior's invitation to come to him. So in conclusion, as we go through life, may we be a church that comes to the Lord, takes upon us his yoke that is easy and light, learns from and about Christ so that we will be examples to others of him, that we would be strengthened by him, and that we would be a church that finds the rest that he offers in the spiritual war that we are in. Fatigue is real, and it's a killer May we rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our rock, our strong tower, and our salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us him as our savior so that we could come to him, so that we could take upon us his yoke, so that we could learn of him, so that we may find in him. Lord, help us to be a people that does those things. Help us to be a church that lives for Christ, that we follow Christ, that we exemplify Christ, that we trust in Christ, that we hope in Christ. Lord, crush out of us every ounce of self-reliance, self-dependence that exists in our bodies. Penetrate our hearts. May the Spirit convict us and illuminate us to our definite need of a savior in all areas of life and in every day of life. Lord, bless us as we go home. Give us traveling mercies. Lord, I pray for all the prayer requests that were mentioned tonight.
pray, Lord, that you would be with each and every person here and in their different seasons of life and different walks of life right now, Lord, and just impress upon them to come to Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I say this. Amen.